This is the Journey 66 Book Writing Podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book, or maybe you've gone off-road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. Of the many reasons people write books, possibly the most popular reason is to inspire and help others by sharing how you faced a challenge and overcame it. This type of writing is typically categorized as memoir writing. Memoirs capture critical moments of your life and they express the lessons and wisdom you've gleaned through them. Today, we are interviewing Patrick Gray and Justin Skizik, authors of I'll Push You. It's a story of two best friends, 500 miles, one wheelchair, and the challenge of a lifetime. Today, Justin and Patrick will tell us about that challenge of a lifetime and why they wanted to write their story for others to read. It very well might inspire you to sit down and start writing your own memoir today. Thank you, Patrick and Justin, for being here. We're so excited to have you. Hey, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. All right, Dave, before we dig into the interview, let's talk about where we've made progress this week. I have two small businesses, a strategic marketing consultancy that I've had for 21 years and then Journey 66. And every so often, often you have to redo the website. And it's like, it's like the worst thing. It, I mean, it's just like doing it for yourself. is just so bad. But anyway, made a little bit of progress this week. And it's so incremental. I can't, we begin to select some images. We've developed a, a concept for the site. Now we're developing images around it. So we've selected a few images and Man, I've made, you know, 12 inches of progress. So yep. that's as good as it gets. Kind of like the cobbler's children have no shoes, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same with book writing. We tell people go write a book, but, you know, are we writing a book in this moment, Dave? I, <laughs> I am. I'm working on it. You're working one. on yeah. one. Yes, yeah, yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> I've made progress. Well, we had our first Facebook Live event last week, which was really fun. I've done some live on Instagram for my other jobby McGillicuddy, but I'd never done a Facebook live. So that that was fun to go live and meet new people and answer some questions and realize we're not stuck in the dark ages, you and I. No, we're not. We're older (laughs) and wiser and uh, not really on the edge of, of anything, on the bleeding edge, but hey. That's right. We're not on the cutting edge, but at least we're trying to stay caught up. Justin and Patrick, do you have any progress you'd like to share with our listeners today to get to know you a little bit? Well, I uh, just got a haircut. (laughs) That's progress. In the the day of COVID, when, you know, you work from home, like, what's the, what's the purpose? You're looking Uh, very dashing. uh, Yeah, it looks great. Yeah. Yeah. And I had like a a pretty good beard going. So I had that shaved off too, but my wife's not too keen on, uh, on that. So I had my barber take it off. So. I don't know. Like, I think my baby steps this week are personal grooming. <laughs> and here's say that. For the listeners, they need to understand that when Justin says he has a beard, he has a beard. It's oh, like, I, I it's a deforestation project. Nothing comes up. So. <laughs> so was it, was it that thick this week before you got uh, it? It was pretty, it was going, I mean, it wasn't like a, you know, Santa Claus beard, but it was, it was definitely very mountain, very mountainy. Very Idaho, right? That's Very Idaho I mean. mountains. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I bet. I, I bet you look different when you look in the mirror. I bet you're 
like, whoa, who is that? Different. Like whenever my dad would take off his mustache, it would take me like a week to get used to it. So uh, usually, usually when I don't shave, it's just because I'm lazy. So oh. <laughs> that's the only reason. Yeah, I get that too. Yeah. I get that too. <laughs> what about you, Patrick? You have any progress in your life? Can I you have some pretty, grooming? pretty nerdy progress. Um, I, I also do a lot of copywriting. And uh, uh, an exercise that I used to do uh, pretty regularly, and I, I just reintroduced it to my life, is where if I see a tagline or I read a sentence in a book or something that really catches my attention, like uh, it could be a lyric in a song, I write it down and then I come back to it either the next day or a few days later. And I try and craft different versions of that or trying to get into the, the kind of the cadence of thought that's behind that line or behind the, the, the phrasing. Because it's really great creative uh, writing exercise and it, it, it just makes certain things come to uh, your brain a little, uh, little quicker. So I, I, uh, I brought that back. I got a little field note uh, thing that Justin introduced me to years ago. And I just write stuff down in there and I go back to it when I have free time and exercise my brain. So I guess all in all, I'm, I'm combating uh, my future dementia with word, word games with myself. What a, what a great exercise. That, that is fantastic. And something that our authors here listening could challenge themselves to do. I've heard about that for writing, like writing, but like you look at Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Love in the Time of Cholera, one of the greatest lines of opening ever. And I've heard of people saying the importance of like writing that thing out and just writing what that would feel like to write that sentence. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Patrick, that's really interesting. Gosh, this is going to be a great interview. If this is how we're starting out, <laughs> you're going to have all these nuggets of wisdom. So we do want to hear about your story and just. Can you tell our audience about your book and just the the journey that you take readers on through this book as as much as you want? We'd love to hear. For those who are, aren't familiar with our story, so um, I know you can't see me right now. You're hearing me, but I am in a wheelchair. I have a I live with a progressive neuromuscular disease that's very similar to ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. It's called multifocal acquired motor axonopathy. And that's it's a, a mouthful. mouthful. <laughs> it's a big mouthful. Uh, it's a very rare disease, and um, unfortunately, it'll probably end up cutting my life short at some point. Um, just like ALS, you don't die from the disease itself. It's usually from complications from it, like you can't breathe and, and those kind of things. So just my, the difference between my disease and ALS is that mine's a lot slower of a progression. So uh, I live life in a wheelchair every day, a power wheelchair. Uh, I can't feed myself. I can't my arms, my hand, my arms, hands, legs. I don't walk anymore. Uh, just none of that works anymore. So, uh, but my mouth, my mouth does, my brain does. <laughs> so I need help from basically every aspect of my life. So that's feeding, bathroom, showering, clothes on, in and out of bed, the whole deal. Uh, and so it's uh, it's been a challenging road for sure, but it hasn't stopped me from doing things that I want to do in life. Uh, and then back in 2012, I had this idea of doing the, it's called the Camino de Santiago. It's a 500 mile pilgrimage across Northern Spain. Mm. You start in France and then you go over three mountain ranges due West and you end up in the Northwest corner of Spain in, in um, Santiago de Compostela. It's a very old pilgrimage, ninth century. Um, and we, you know, Pat and I have known each other literally our whole lives. We were born 36 hours apart, same hospital, same town of Eastern Oregon. Uh, parents knew each other. We've known each other forever, 46 years now. And I asked him if he wanted to go on this journey. And his response was, I'll push you. That's what he said. So 
that's the title of the book. That's the title. We have a movie as well. So yeah. uh, the book and the movie are great sister pieces, but the uh, that's how that call kind of started. And then we did it. And so that was the whole, the whole book I'll push you is kind of two parallel stories happening at one time. It's the journey of us on the pilgrimage, but also our life's journey, each of us individually. And then it ends up converging, um, converging towards the end. And so it's, uh, it's been very well received and we've been very blessed. Uh, it's our first book that we wrote. We have three now, but it was our first one we wrote. And it's kind of set us on a trajectory of speaking around the world and traveling and talking to people and all sorts of crazy stuff that we do. So that's a very quick (laughs) nutshell. People need to go buy the book. (laughs) I'll push you to to get the entire scoop and read all the details and see that journey that you all go on. Can you tell us when your earliest thoughts were of writing the book? When did you guys think, we need to write out the story. And how did that conversation go between the two of you? We were actually against writing a book when we came back from Spain. You know, we had this amazing experience where so many people stepped in and partnered with us in this journey, right? You know, I mean, we're, we're tackling what seems impossible to get a wheelchair 500 miles across Spain. It's a manual wheelchair. It has to be pushed or pulled or lifted over all this terrain. And so we have all these stories that we, we kind of, you know, encounter of different people's, you know, experiences in life. And so we, while we held those very closely and we had these great experiences with different people from around the world, the, uh, the Camino itself is something that, that has really generated a lot of film and, and, and you know, book you know, ideas. And so we were concerned that a book from us would be just white noise. It would just kind of get lost in the, in the shuffle. So we just, no, nope, we're not going to do it. Started speaking. We got invited to uh, go attend a storyline with uh, Donald Miller and speak. At that conference, we had Donald Miller, Sean Nequist, uh, a ghostwriter. Uh, all three say, you guys need to write a book. Hmm. So like, okay, you're kind of getting the point here. And then an editor from a publisher took us out to lunch and he's exploring the whole conversation around book writing. And then finally he leans in and he was a real soft talker. I still remember the conversation. It was funny because Justin and I would have to lean in so close to hear what he would have to, you know, have to say to us. <laughs> but he kind of wrapped his conversation up with us like, so have you guys ever thought about writing a book? And so the ghostwriter that we actually uh, got introduced to, he introduced us to his agent. And uh, it turns out same agency that uh, represents uh, Rob Bell, uh, Sean Equist, and a bunch of other uh, re- very prolific writers. And so it was a great connection point. And uh, Chris and Angela from the agency just kind of walked us through everything. Um, and it, I mean, from start to finish the whole process, it was really helpful to have them in our corner. But it was kind of just a, like, I remember coming back from that conference, Justin and I both were like, okay, I guess we should probably, uh, probably tackle this, but uh, where do we start? <laughs> right. Where did you start? Yeah. And how long yeah. was that process from beginning to end? Very, when you- very well, the book writing, actually, that's a, we'll, we'll put a pin in that. It's getting, you know, getting published is, is hard. You know, we talked about self-publication for a while, but with um, Angela Sheff is our, our agent that works with Chris Farabee. Uh, she's been kind of in our back corner, you know, or in our corner, the whole, this whole journey. Whole time. Yeah. And so she walked us through the book proposal piece, you know, and so we, you know, farmed it out to not farmed it out. We pitched it to a bunch of different uh, publishers and that it was actually very well received. We got uh, six uh, offers off the first round of, of the uh, proposal. And we had one publisher that was interested, but kind of pushed back on a few things. And so we recrafted the proposal and that's who we wound up going with Tyndale. And then it was, okay, uh, we've got this, this, this you know, project in front of us. How do we tackle it? And they wanted us to actually have a ghostwriter come in and write with us. And we said, no, 
just because we thought we could do it on our own. Um, Justin's a great storyteller. He, he doesn't write, you know, without the use of his hands, but um, he can create great pictures and he, you know, he's got a vivid memory. I've got a, a long history of being a closet writer. I mean, I was a poetry, short stories, music as a kid. That's what I wrote to kind of cope with whatever I was dealing with. And now as an adult, it's a lot cheaper than therapy for me. So I keep <laughs> writing. And uh, <laughs> so it, it just, we had this game plan, like, you know what, we're going to, we're going to tackle this together. And so that's kind of how the, the, the book started. And like I said, that's very much uh, in, in the, the very beginning stages. It was just for this idea. It, I, I'd probably add that when we came back from Spain, um, we finished this whole journey and we're kind of figuring out what, you know, so we took a documentary crew with us, you know, filmed the whole thing. And we we're already in the motions of all of that. So right, right. that's, that's kind of, we were kind of in that phase, but when we actually came back and this is a totally different story, a much longer story, but I'll give a very quick synopsis. When we came back, Pat went back to work and it was like a couple of days into work. He ended up writing a children's book. Uh, like he was supposed to be working, but <laughs> ended up not working uh, that afternoon or whatever, and just wrote this this children's story of these two friends doing. It wasn't a Camino related. It was just basically our friendship. You know, Pat's big. You know, six foot two, six foot three, and you know, and push. You know, it's just about this two friends, kind of like our adult friendship, but as kids. And uh, this amazing story and, and shared the story with me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we have to do something with this. This is even before our memoir was even out. And so we, we were going to like, oh, let's just do the children's book. And we'll just kind of do it on our own. Um, and that's kind of a whole nother thing. But in the end, that, that was kind of the only book that we had on the horizon at the moment until we met, you know, Donald Miller and Shauna and, and those people. And that just changed the course of everything. Uh, we ended up getting our children's book published with Tyndale after our memoir came out, which was really great. So, um, but yeah, it was just like this idea of, okay, well, we're going to do this. You know, Pat and I are so green, have no clue. I'm probably even greener than Pat because I don't, I'm not a writer at all. So, but it's, it was one of those things where like, again, we kind of looked at each other and said, all right, well, let's just go for it and see where it goes. And naturally the question is, well, how do you write a book with two authors with two voices? Right. 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 That's one of our questions. How do you do that? So Tyndale asked us that question and uh, they, that was one of their major concerns was how do you do that? Because if I was to just go off and write chapters one, five, seven, you know, whatever. And then Pat went off and wrote his, then it would be so weird to read. And so what we decided was that in order for us to figure this out, and I don't know how we ended up figuring this out, but Pat came over to my house. We live about two miles apart. So he came over to my house and we sat down. We said, how are we going to figure this out? And I, and I think we remember just kind of going, well, how about Patrick? You know, you're, he's, the, he's the writer. He's a very talented writer. I didn't even know. I've known him my whole life. I didn't even know how good he was. The um, secrets I keep. The secret, yes. <laughs> But, you know, he's, he's like, we decided, okay, well, he has, he has more skill in that arena, a better way of words than I would. So he would just come over and interview me and we, I would just try to, and he would just ask me questions like, what were you feeling during this time? What were you thinking? What do you recall of this? And, and then he would go off and then come back again. And then, you know, he or he shared with me and I'd read it and I would say, that's close or that's not quite right or whatever. And I wouldn't tell him what to say. I would just say, 
this is what I was feeling. This is, you know, this is slightly off here or whatever. And it was just this kind of like this yo-yo back and forth between us. Mm -hmm. um, he would go off kind of cave, we call it cave mode. Just go off and cave it. I wouldn't uh, see people for like five days. I would write yeah. straight, just nonstop. Just straight, I would yeah. eat, um, drink, and write. That was it. You know, yeah. just my water and my coffee. That was his job. And we we made it very specific. Like that was his job uh, outside of we were speaking. Um, so we had to do some speaking engagements throughout that period. But we were kind of under the gun at that point. When Once we signed the deal with, even before we signed the deal with our publisher, we already knew the movie was coming out at a specific time. And so... It was, it was like, you need to start writing now. <laughs> and that's what we did. And we just kind of hunkered down and Pat would go off and come back and we just kind of figured it out. How many months was that, Patrick and uh, Justin? For the, the first for draft? The, yeah, the first draft. Uh, it was about six weeks. No way. Six mm -hmm. weeks? So you were yeah. doing like five hours a day and you got it done in six weeks. No, I was doing like eight to 10 hours a day. Eight to ten hours a day. Yeah, and I was writing on Saturdays. Sometimes I write on Sundays. Sometimes I'd be out, I'd get an idea, go out in the middle of the night. No, I I put in so many hours. You were deep in the night. cave then. That wow. was that was the first draft. Yeah, and fortunately, I'm a pretty clean writer, so the editing process was quick. We got stuff back relatively quickly to keep the ball rolling. But I, I want to take a step back. You know, I mean, Justin's very accurate in the picture he painted. But when you're, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, um, just kind of, you know, Melissa, you said like, like. Why would you want to put your story out there? Yeah. I really got to give a lot of credit back to Donald Miller. Um, one, the Storyline Conference definitely influenced us. Uh, but also the, there's a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the whole story, the whole book is about how we all have a story to tell. Yeah. And it's our job to tell it well, because someone else's life might depend on it. That's what I took away from that book. I think it's what Justin took away as well. And so as we have these different writers telling us, you got to share the story. It really was because, okay, someone else needs to know the same struggles we deal with. Someone else needs to know they're not alone in the journey that they're on, whether it's dealing with a disability or you have a friend who has a disability. Whatever the darkness in your life looks like, someone needs that book to partner with him in that pain, right? And that's why so many memoirs are so powerful. So we had that idea, okay, we want to put this out there because we want people to know that they're not alone in whatever they're struggling. But for the writers out there, especially if you're a first-time writer, Story architecture is critical. You can't just sit down and start writing. We didn't just start, just start off we went. We were very strategic. We thought through the stories that were poignant from our childhood and we brainstormed. This will be a great thing here. This will be great here. This timeline doesn't fit. And so we did all this brainstorming until we had literally a structure chapter by chapter of general idea and how maybe even a closing sentence could feed into an opening sentence of one chapter to another. And so we had this very robust game plan and then I went and disappeared and rode around that. Mm. Uh, and that made it, and, and that's been my go-to for writing my whole life is that our story architecture, whether it's for agencies or a, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I always map things out, the roadmap that I want to take somebody on and what are the key components that have to be addressed and then how do I work those in? And so that's where my brain is. Justin's a creative individual. He's so creative and you know, he's, a, he's a graphic designer and so he can see things differently. And so we would just keep molding and shaping as we met and, and pretty soon, maybe one idea, like, you know what, we were married to this, but that doesn't work. Let's toss it out. And there's times as you brainstorm together, oh, wait, we forgot about this. This has got to be in here. <laughs> yeah. And so that's kind of the, the overall mm -hmm. process for us. And I would probably tack on real quickly that when we set out to this, I mean, we had the, we got the go, we're writing this thing and working on, is Pat and I sat down and we said, okay. And kind of going back to what he just mentioned is other people need to hear 
what you have to say is we made it very, we made a pact between the two of us that we would not sugarcoat anything. Hmm. And there's a tendency, I think, for some people to want to kind of get their point across, but they're not really willing to say, I really was thinking this, hmm. or um, they kind of gloss it over or, and, and we made that decision and said, you know what, if we're going to tell the story, we're going to tell the story. We're not going to water it down. We're not, I mean, we're going to tell it as raw as it is. And it ended up getting pretty raw at some point. I mean, even um, our publisher coming back to us and saying, we want to explore more of this. I mean, there was, I, I mean, for example, I'll give an example. I talk about a, a very dark period in my life where I was, had suicidal thoughts and these kind of things. And, you know, they came back to us and said, we want to talk, like, if you were to do that, if you were to do it, what would that look like? Mm -hmm. I was like, I've never shared that with anybody. Wow. Anybody like Pat, nobody, zero people, not in my wife, nobody. And, and now I'm asked to put it in a publication where everyone's going to read it. So I remember very specifically, Pat was sitting next to me in my office here where I'm at right now. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, we decided we're not going to sugarcoat it. So let's talk yeah. about it. And I, I vividly remember that interview. Yeah. I had my yellow notepad, my pen out. I always write with the same pen because I'm a nerd. And I'm writing stuff down. And Justin's just going, okay, so tell me, like, what, what were the options? And he just went through each one. Hmm. And it was hmm. like, oh, it was, it was really hard. It was really hard. But really hard. We know that there are people that have read that and like, I've, I've been there. I've had those thoughts too. What would you say to a writer, a young writer? This is such an important moment in this interview, because I think, how do you write that without being too salacious or being too, um, you know, because there's overwriting, right? You can mm-hmm. overwrite and we've all been to movies that have been overwritten, right? Or, or watched movies or read books that have been overwritten. How did you take something so precious those thoughts are just so precious i mean they're just and 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 actually physically write them How, did you think about the guardrails even as you wrote it you can be honest and not to pull any punches without overwriting how did you work through that it was hard you know i still remember dave was one of our editors and he's the one that actually you know made the request and we you know we just and i just talked it through and so it was, we kind of just came to a position and Justin, correct me if I'm wrong here. This is how I remember it. It's been quite a few years now since we, uh, we, we explored that conversation, but it was one, Dave said, okay, is that, I'm a reader. I know that Justin's in a wheelchair. I'm thinking, okay, he might be suicidal, but how's he actually going to pull this off? He's in a wheelchair. That was the question he asked. I'm like, that's a fair question because there's certain elements. Whenever you're a writer, there's things you take for granted that you know, or that you feel that your audience doesn't know or feel. And so that's that fine line of overriding versus underwriting. You know, you, you got to break that, that barrier, make sure that you're not taking those things for granted. You're not holding things back because you have them in your head, but that you don't over explain them or over um, experientialize. That's not a word, but I'm going to use it today. <laughs> Thanks. Sounds good. Uh, and so that was the balance. And so it was more of paint this picture where Justin is psychologically, which is very, very dark. And it just, it was more of a roadmap. It wasn't this like overdone, you know, storytelling about these things. Just like, okay, here's, I started thinking to myself, I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. Having known people who've dealt with this outside of Justin, that's very much a regular thought process. You know what? It would be so easy. I could just do this. And it's not like you're burdening the, the topic, 
but you're letting the person know that, oh, wait, that's, that's how his brain was thinking too. Okay. All right. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not like, it takes away some of the shame from, from all the stuff that we explore there, whether it's the drugs or the pornography or it's the, the suicidal ideation, you know, it takes away some of the shame from those things when you realize someone else has been in your shoes. Um, and it gives you just a little bit more freedom to then turn around and hopefully do the same thing for somebody else. And that partnering in pain, whether it's in a book or face-to-face, I, there's so many lives that have been, um, I want to say saved because that's, that's not the right word, but have been impacted, mine included, when I read something where I know that someone has been where I've been. I wanted to follow up on you talk about the importance of story architecture. And we always talk about the narrative arc. You know, your takes people start here and then they end at some point. What was that arc that you were taking people on? And, and how do you think about story architecture? And maybe just get a little practical. Do you do it on a whiteboard? Sounds like you brainstormed and then you'd, you'd, put buck, you'd create these buckets, even these transition sentences. I think anything. <laughs> he is showing the, the listeners a yellow notepad. Yellow notepad. <laughs> He's all about the yellow notepad. I'm all about the yellow notepad. I have pages and pages and pages of ideas. Well, that's the fair question. Um, I, and Justin is kind of the same way. We, when we, we do our speaking, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of create a journey, right? Depending on what stories we need to share, depending on the audience or the theme. And a story is no different. A book is no different. Uh, it's just much more robust. But uh, there's, there's key waypoints along the way where people can check in, right? They need to check in with different characters. Not that this is a fictional story by any means, but we're characters in the story, right? They need check-ins. They need to know that someone's okay. They need to know that there's a kind of feel that heartbeat of someone's character, whether it's the humor or it's the pain. And that roller coaster of life needs to be reflected in writing because we all have that humor and that pain that kind of comes and goes. And sometimes those painful moments last way too long. And it's such a, such a struggle. But you need that dynamic tension to really appreciate getting through it, right? And so that's kind of what, what we're doing as we map things out is that, okay, we got to stay sequential. We're not going to you know, cut things out or throw things in just for you know, gratuity's sake to try and make a better story. But let's make sure that we create this pacing where those big elements aren't rushed too quickly, aren't spread too far apart. And so that's part of that story architecture was really chapter topics were those waypoints to check in with Justin, myself, or both of us. And then you have architecture within that. And, and you keep kind of getting more and more refined. You distill down to those, those, um, those themes that you want to have in there. You know, I mean, every book that's really well written, in my opinion, has certain themes that just kind of pop up. You know, they'll bring you back to a certain tagline, it might be recrafted or a certain bit of humor or a certain character trait of somebody that just gives you a little bit of a a lift in, as you read the story. And so making sure that, okay, what, what do people appreciate about Justin? What do people appreciate about me? Um, and we had asked people, we'd ask the in, different individuals that are part of our greater story. And that would kind of point us back to, oh, okay, we need to, we need to bring these themes out again, because they're things that we take for granted and other people appreciate this bit of humor from Justin or this bit of smart aleckness from me. How can we weave that in? Because it's there. We just don't necessarily realize it's there as much as it is. And that that is part of why people enjoy listening to us tell stories. How do we put that into the book itself? Does that make, does that help Dave? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's really yeah. helpful. I, and I think one thing I'd like to quickly add to that is, is even though we went into it with a fairly clear game plan, it did change. Huge. It did change. So, and, and, and sometimes, you know, it's kind of this push and pull between us and the publisher. It's this push and pull. 
um, they want to see more of this. We want to, you know, we're like, no, we need to go this route. So it was definitely this, this collaborative environment, but I got a hand to Pat when it came to the story architecture, he had a very clear, pretty good, like trajectory. Uh, I mean, the, the story, the, the journey itself is kind of the, it's kind of a good, you know, starting ending point type thing. Um, so the, the, the story was already there. It's not like we just had to come up with it out of nowhere, but it was, you know, I get, he, I got to hand it to him because he came, he looked at it, he marinated on it for a while. He'd come back and say, Hey, on this chapter, we're going to talk about this. This is where we are in the journey. Um, I want to introduce this story. And he just had this beautiful way of pulling funny stories from our childhood, things that we went through, uh, hard stuff, good stuff, and really kind of making those those parallels between what we've already had lived through at that point and what we are currently living through in the story. But there was a couple of times where we, I think more is the end of the book and the beginning of the book is where it changed a little bit. But it was, I think, just being okay with the ebb and flow, but you have to go into it with a game plan for sure. <laughs> so No, I, was, I think it helped with the pacing for the reader too. It, it, you know, you, you spend too long a time in one area and whether it's a novel or a memoir or you know, you got people writing amazing narrative essay out there, uh, but you, you got to have these reprieves that make you want to keep reading, you know, if it's the same thing for too long. And so doing the dual narrative of our childhood to present day and then the launch of this idea and to, to they actually converge, it created a, a, a space where you'd want to get back to something you had read about. Okay, so w- what's the next lesson? Or, oh, wait, what's the next story from the childhood? Oh, but I want to hear about Justin's, you know, struggle again. And so just trying to keep that kind of tow rope going, pulling the reader along with the ideas. And um, if it had just been straight through the the, the Camino, I don't think we could have done that. You're really getting at the nuance of memoir writing. And when we talk with writers about memoir writing, we say it can't be a junk drawer. And it's probably best if it's not just a chronological order of your life. And what you've managed to do is flashback and be in the moment. And it creates um, such rhythm and cadence and interest, as you said. So can you talk a little bit more about your filtering system, what, how you decided what goes in, what doesn't go in? You've talked a little bit about that already, but I'm wondering if you have any more insight for our writers on that. If they're thinking of writing a memoir, how, how do you begin to filter out the stuff that doesn't belong, but you, you know, you, you're maybe personally attached to a certain story, but it just really doesn't belong. This is something that Justin taught me a long time ago is focusing on the why we do things as opposed to how or what or when or where, right? You know, those are all details that can really become overwhelming. But every story that we chose to pick to be in this book, every story that, that made the cut, if you will, you know, because we, we could have gone into a lot of other facets of our lives, but it had to align with the why of the book or the why of the chapter. Why are we writing this? What, does, what is our desire for someone to walk away with? And if it doesn't fit that, that paradigm we've created within that chapter um, around the why or the meaning, then it's out. It's just, there's no need for it. Hmm. Uh, so that was, the, that was the baseline filtering, okay? If, if, if it's not going to fit into the emotional narrative, if you will, which I really think that's a, a piece that we don't talk about a lot in writing, but there's an emotional narrative that, um, that you're taking a person through that is so, so critical to, uh, to pay attention to. And if we get stories that don't align with the why, it disrupts that emotional narrative. Um, so not only are they experiencing things as they read the words, but there's that, that heart pace. It's just interesting, but there's a heart pace of a good story where you are so attached to what's happening. Um, and that's what I love about like um, Boys in the Boat, even though it's very, very um, 
to me, a little more sterile writing than I, I prefer. The emotional narrative of that book is brilliant. And, and nothing was kept in that book that did not need to be there. And so, I mean, my opinion, of course, but so that was our initial filtration. And then there were some stories, Justin, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought like there were a few, as I recall, where we just, it just wasn't working. You know what? It just, didn't work. Just, let's scrap it. Let's scrap it. It's yeah. throw it out. And as soon as we would do that, Justin would call me up. Hey, you know what? You know what might work here? You remember, remember when X, Y, or Z, like that, that was a really important moment for me. How about for you? Like, oh yeah. And so in that, in the calling the stories, it created space, not only on paper, but in our heads to think, oh, wait, we, we, we were missing something because there were so many things lined up in the queue. So that's how I would describe that. I think we were lucky in some ways because we had each other to bounce ideas off of. I mean, I think it would be, and I'm just kind of looking at it from my point of view, um, is if you're doing it on your own, you, it would be, I think, a little bit more, I think it'd be more difficult. At least that's my perception of that. It would be because you don't have the ability to bounce those ideas off of somebody and to say, is this worth keeping? Is it not? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was one of the dynamics that Pat and I have a, we know each other so well, he can read me. I can read him. So he knows me so well that he knows how to put words in my mouth that are accurate. Hmm. Um, But also just like, the ability we can we can we have so many stories between the two of us things that should not be in print <laughs> or on camera <laughs> um but you know it's like but okay let's pull out some of the and some of the stuff that he you know he's like hey how about remember this story about this i was like oh my gosh i totally forgot about that you know and that has to be in the book and those kind of things and that you know the light bulb kind of goes off in some of those moments yeah, I, I do like what you're saying about this dynamic process. And we always encourage our writers to get together with somebody who can ask good questions. And just so you can get some feedback and be drawn out, some of those ideas can be drawn out that might be buried. So I love that you had each other to do that with on this book writing journey. Can you tell us what your advice would be for people who say, I have a story and I really want to share it, but gosh, it's really scary to think about, about sharing it. And I don't know where to start. What, what do you say to people who say, I have a story that I need to tell? First question I would ask him is why, hmm. why do you feel you need to tell it? Figure That's that out great. first. You better have a really good reason. And I think we all have that reason if we seek it, but you got to land there first. And once you figure out why your story needs to be told, then you're going to have a lot more passion behind the storytelling itself. If you just think you have a good story, but you haven't figured out how it's really going to impact someone, then you're you got the cart before the horse. So yeah. take a step back, take stock of your story and figure out why it's important to tell and then begin the conversation of writing. So you went to the Storyline Conference. I'm curious, first of all, why you were there. But then secondly, you got all this feedback from people saying you should write a book. So when did you get in touch with that why for yourselves? First off, how we got there, I was actually driving to drop off some books to somebody. And I got a phone call from uh, the CEO of Story, Storyline. <laughs> oh. Hey, got your number through. I, I don't even know how you got my number. I, it was, must have been on our, a website or something. But he called me and said, hey, can you and Justin be a Storyline in four weeks? We need, would like you guys to come speak. So that's how we got there. Okay. <laughs> was, what? Donald Miller's what? You know, yeah. So that's how that happened. Yeah. Um, but the why, I'm trying to think, it was such an evolution. It wasn't like one point in time. It was just this constant conversation and journey. Yeah, I think it was just what we realized was 
you know, we mentioned we didn't want to write a book at the beginning. I think we were just so dead set on that, that we weren't willing to even entertain the idea of doing a book. So, but then having conversations after conversations, it was very apparent. It's kind of one of those things where you're like, yeah, I think we need to do this. But the why I think was already in place because we had already been through this crazy experience. It already have been sharing it in on a stage or in a public forum. So it's just a different way of doing that. Um, so it wasn't like we needed the why in order to do it. I think it was, I looked at the book cause I'm, I come at, I look at it from a marketing standpoint. That's, that's how I look at it. Um, I'm totally different than probably maybe all <laughs> three of you, but you know, I look at it as, okay, well, is it a way for us to tell our story in a little bit more in depth than um, than the movie would be, and you know, would people really like this? And you know, it was a resounding yes that they would. And then it was for me, it was just a long term vision of of like our of what our, Pat and I are want we're wanting to do from a business standpoint. So it was the idea of okay, well, let's we already knew it was already there. The why was already in place. It was just, okay, well, let's, the opportunity is here. So let's, let's do it. And we were fortunate in that, that we already, and we already were, knew where we wanted to go. Yeah. Yeah. We already knew. So we already knew. And, you know, those that are, this is a whole different topic, but, you know, writing a book is just the beginning of it all. So, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of work. It's a ton of work, but if you want to get a book published and, and all that, you know, people, are, their publishers are going to want to know what your platform is, AKA what's your reach. Do you have social media reach? Are you on YouTube? Are you speaking? Are you doing this? I mean, you don't need to be speaking in front of thousands of people in order to have a book deal, but they're going to want to know, are you willing to work and get that message out there as well? Cause they're going to do their part, but you know, in reality, it comes down to the authors to get it out there. You know, if you're self-publishing, it's a different story, but uh, or even a hybrid model, but there's, uh, we knew that it was okay. It, we already knew that the catalyst was already there. The film was going to help propel it. Um, and I'm so glad we did hmm. because it has opened up so many doors for us that we never thought um, would happen. It's just a really great business card. <laughs> so it's yeah, a, yeah, for sure. it's a 300 and something page business card. <laughs> so many, so yeah. many relationships that come out of it too, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I don't know if you were trying to get to, to our why specifically, but for us, it is that re yeah. relational aspect that, that we yeah. are better together than we are alone. And that, yeah. that everything we do points back to relationship is critical for our survival yeah. in this life. Yeah. And, um, and so to have that kind of figured out made the the trajectory of the book, you know, as we as we created it, the the story not created, but as we mapped out the story arc, um, a little easier to to um, for it to unfold for us. Would you would you say that that then is also the meta the meta theme, the meta idea, the meta thesis? Uh, yes, I would for us. However, <laughs> for the book we have, yeah, with the book with that, well, with everything, but yeah, with the book for sure. But we have so many people uh, that walk away with a different. Uh, That's so you know, true. Really that is so interesting. Visceral response, you know, and I think it points back to the relational aspect for sure. That's definitely always a part of someone's like I appreciate this so much because of X. Relationship is a part of it, 
but it might be because of relationship through addiction. It might be um, because uh, they've, they've lost uh, a husband, a wife, or a friend to a, you know, an illness such as what Justin has. And so just it was just a way for them to grieve, you know, to grieve, to grieve. Or we've met people who are actually in Justin's shoes that are just stuck and do not want to do anything. Like they're so frightened. Mm-hmm. And so there's mm-hmm. a freedom that they experience because they see this guy who has no reason to be on the Camino on the Camino. Like, why is he doing this? Right. Yet he's out there and he's living life fully. And they're like, well, wait, no, I want to do that. And so it leads them into these relationships because the spark of adventure or a risk taking that maybe they didn't mm-hmm. have before. So the I think relationship is definitely that 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 meta theme for sure. It's it's the overarching like umbrella. And for us, all all things point to God, um, for sure. But we're I mean, heaven on earth is looks like this, you know, hmm. conversations and loving one another and walking in our you know our struggles and pain together. And hmm. really that's what we wanted people to see is that uh, heaven isn't just a destination; it's also an existence. This is going to be my final question. I don't know if you're going to have one, Dave, to add after this, but what changed inside of you as you wrote the book? It's a different entity, as you said, than the film and um, even the children's book, which has similar themes. But did anything change inside of you as you wrote as you wrote the book? I'm curious. Uh, I would probably quickly answer that. I it <laughs> I, I'm kind of going back to when you put yourself all out there. Yeah. Uh, Cause when you read our book, you will know a lot about Patrick and I hmm. flat out. Uh, I'll never forget it. My mom, after she, my mom read the copy, read the book. She, she called me. She says, well, I didn't know some of these things about you. Do you want to <laughs> talk? Do you want to talk about it? And I said, no, <laughs> I do not. I've already talked about it. It's already in a public forum. Uh, I do not want to talk about it, but um, kind of counter counter to that is the door the book has opened up so many opportunities for for me to be able to to share what i've been through with people complete strangers hmm. talk with them about um you know where they're at and and in life and the good and the bad and everything in between and so it's it, it's made me uh more compassionate and more open-minded and you know, I just kind of come back to kind of what God calls us to be, which is love God, love others. I mean, it's pretty simple. So I try to do my part in that as to the best of my ability, but it, it definitely has kind of opened my eyes to humanity, uh, even going through what we went through, but also just beyond that, just having conversations with people and understanding that there's a lot of hurt out there. There's a lot of joy um, and kind of everything in between. So Thank you so much for sharing. I feel like this is a master course and <laughs> memoir writing and just storytelling. And you really point to some critical questions to ask and how to think about storytelling. So thank you so much for being here with us and sharing that with our listeners today. Absolutely. Thank you. Before we close out the episode, Dave and I want to move to our words of the episode. Um, Dave, do you want me to go first? I think you should go first. All right. My word is vaunted, V-A-U-N-T-E-D, which is praised or boasted about, especially in an excessive way. So I guess maybe the playing on the field of Tom Brady is vaunted. I hate Tom Brady. So, you know, if people boast about him on a given Sunday, it's usually in an excessive way, in my opinion. So vaunted is my word for the day. What about you, Dave? Well, what I love about that word is it's not one of your, uh, what was that, crisp? 
What was that one about the dawn, the twilight? Crepuscular. Oh, goodness. <laughs> That's a good word. <laughs> Crepuscular. So generally, just so you know that Melissa generally has these words I've absolutely never heard of. They're so obscure. She's an English lit, you know, undergrad grad. So she thinks about these things like this. I don't. So anyway, I love that it's vaunted today. So yeah, I, right? I kind of knew that. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Afraid. Yeah, it's, it's just a good word. It's a nice word to use in place of praise or boasting. So just one to add to the to the list of words to use. Okay, your your turn, Dave. What's your word of the <laughs> so, episode? So mine is an adjective of a word we really know. It's purgatorial. Yeah. And I'd never heard it used, purgatorial, as an adjective until, uh, well, I'm I love Cormac McCarthy. I've read everything that he's ever written. And and now I'm listening to uh, The Blood Meridian, which I read probably 25 years ago. And it's the dark, it's the darkest, most violent book you'll ever want to read. It's he's kind of dark. A, oh my gosh, he's dark. It's it's a quasi coming of age story, but it's a it's a coming of violence story. But anyway, it, it's about this journey of this kid into the Southwest. It had to be in the late Gosh, I'm trying to figure what time it was, probably the late 1800s. And he goes across and joins a marauding band of, 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 uh, of basically a militia that basically destroys villages and rapes and pillages. And, but anyway, he has this phrase, uh, you know, I think, I think the phrase he used is purgatorial t- terrain. Purgatorial terrain. So the word, it really means a, a place or a state of suffering. You know, that's the word purgatory means. It's, you know, inhabited by the souls of sinners. So using purgatorial and juxtaposing that or adding it to to the landscape, you start to really get a sense for how barren it is and yeah. how desolate it is. So purgatorial, I just, when he's, when I listened to that word on, on Audible, I thought, oh, that is so awesome. Someday yeah. I've got to use that. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great <laughs> pairing of words. Excellent. <laughs> I love that. I love what reading teaches us. That's so fabulous. All right, Dave, um, can you tell our listeners what they can find on the Journey 66 website before we say goodbye? All right. One more thing. If you are, we have a quiz for writers. Those of you who are just starting out, maybe you want to write a memoir. And this really, the quiz is all about that formation, the idea formation. And we always talk about the thesis of a book, certainly as a nonfiction, as you're thinking about a memoir, it's that meta, kind of that meta idea that tends to, not tense, it has to govern what goes in and what doesn't go in. And I thought, uh, Patrick, your explanation of this was just perfect today for, for what we talk about. There's a quiz on the website. Just hit the website, uh, journey66.com and take the quiz. And we also give you a little tool there to help you identify your thesis. It's a little activity to help winnow an idea. An idea always has two parts. It has a, a subject and it has a complement. And how we break the idea into two parts and it's an activity to help you. And what it does is this really sharpens and winnows your idea and forces you to think more crisply about this idea that you have. So anyway, jump on the site and, and take the quiz. Yeah, excellent. I want to thank our two guests again, Justin and Patrick. Thanks for being here. We really appreciate it. All right. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write. 